Well, good morning and welcome to Lesson 2 in our Bible study series on the book of Isaiah entitled, God Sends. Now, my name is Darren Knapp. My family and I have been members and regular attenders at First Baptist Keller since 2016. And I'm one of two teachers in our Sunday school class for married adults. We call the group Cross Training and you're invited to come visit us anytime. Our directors, Scott and Buffy Pleasance, are wonderful and uh, we'd love to have you. Now today's lesson picks up in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, and we'll be studying the entire chapter, verses 1 through 13. Now as a quick recap, Isaiah lived and prophesied during the time of the kings of Jerusalem and Israel, and you can pick up lots of context by looking at the books of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And by the time Isaiah comes along, the northern kings of Israel have been divided from Jerusalem for nearly 200 years. And if you're keeping score, none of the Israel kings followed God's God's ways. So the northern kingdom, zero out of 19, followed the Lord. And they're all recorded as doing evil in the sight of the Lord, along, along with many other offenses. So they broke the first commandment of Moses by worshiping other gods and not keeping the one true God as first. Now, because of these ongoing offenses, God eventually lifted his hand of protection and brought persecution to Israel. In 722 BC, Israel was destroyed by the Assyrians. All of the tribes of Israel, except Judah and Benjamin, were lost and taken captive by the Assyrians. So that is, the southern kingdoms had Judah and Benjamin in in Jerusalem, and then in the northern, we had all the rest. The other ten were taken and and, uh, held captive by the Assyrians. Now, Jerusalem did a lot better, but they also stumbled. So the southern kingdom did better, but they stumbled as well. And all this is context for the life and times of Isaiah and what he's going through and and what God's attitude is towards all of the Jews at this point. Now, of the 20 kings of Jerusalem, 8 out of 20 did right in the sight of the Lord. And those are Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Amariah, Uzziah, also known as Azariah, Jotham, Hezekiah, and Josiah. Now Manasseh gets a maybe a yellow mark instead of a green. He started out doing evil, but then he prayed and repented. And when the Assyrians were going to attack, he prayed and repented to God. And for his sincere repentance, God restored his power and protected them from the Assyrians. Now the other did, the other eleven did evil in the sight of the Lord. They worship foreign gods and and many, many other offenses. So for those of you who are keeping track here, that's 0% of the northern kingdoms and just 45% of the kings of Jerusalem had followed the Lord. And if you think about it, think of the, the, the way that God is looking at this and the way that Isaiah is looking at this. There used to be a time where all of the Jews were one. All of Israel was one. And then you had the split. You had the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdom. And and you have just 45% of the kings of the southern kingdom following the ways of the Lord and 0% of the kings of the north following the Lord. And of course, not only were there flaws in the kings, even the good kings had flaws, but the people also were doing all sorts of things and having idolatry and all sorts of sin that was just rampant. And so this is the mind state that, that Isaiah is in, and he's, and he's looking at this, and, uh, and he has God's heart t- towards all of the, the sin that he's seeing. 
Now, if you also want to look at a contemporary of Isaiah, you can take a look at Micah. He lived in the same time and was also in Jerusalem in the same kingdom as Isaiah. And so you can take a look at the book of Micah for some more context as to what's going on. Now, on that note, last week, there were some really strong parallels with Micah 6, the idea that God is not pleased by meaningless sacrifices, but rather he wants us to repent and do what's right. Now, keep in mind that, again, that during the period of these evil kings, many religious practices of offering sacrifices in the temple continued. So people acted like they were doing the right thing, but in their hearts, they were just doing evil. And it was it was really hypocritical to go and do these sacrifices to God and yet be worshiping other gods and doing all these other sinful things. So they just kept right on singing, they, uh, sinning. They'd make these sacrifices and make a mockery of it. And in chapter one, Isaiah speaks for God in verse 13. And he says, stop bringing me your meaningless offerings. And then in verse 16 and 17, he says, wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So in Micah 6, it's the same thing. And it culminates in a great memory memory verse. It's one that I love and it's Micah 6, 8. He, it says this, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And let's not forget that Jesus referenced this too. In Matthew 9, and verse 13, Jesus said, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So that's a great starting point for our lesson today. Keep in mind, there's been a ton of sin in the history of Jerusalem as well as the Northern Kingdom of Israel. And Isaiah and Micah reflect God's anger and disgust with Jerusalem's sin and also God's deep desire to see his people repent and do what's right. And on that same note, they point forward to the ministry of Jesus where both Jesus and John the Baptist called for repentant hearts to seek God. And that brings us to the start of chapter 6, where we find Isaiah recounting a personal and direct encounter with God. So let's dig in. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. I'll be reading from the New International Standard Version. And we'll read the entire chapter for today's lesson and then tackle it section by section. So let's get started. Chapter 6, Isaiah's Vision. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. 
for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? He answered, Until the cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will be again subject to burning like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. May God bless the hearing and reading of his word. Now let's study and break this down section by section. In just a minute, I'll ask you to pause this recording and review the first four verses and answer a few questions. So let's tackle these first four verses. As you go back and read this again, highlight or underline the things that stand out to you. Also, after you've read the passage, try to paraphrase it and restate it in your own words. So listen, there's no right answer here, but how you paraphrase it can highlight for you what was most memorable to you, what stood out to you. So go ahead and pause now and restart the recording when you're done. Okay. I hope you paused the recording and and thought about these things and, and tried to paraphrase. So first question, what stood out to you? As you read verses one through four, what were the things that you highlighted and why? Also, did you restate the passage in your own words? If you're in a group, be sure to discuss these questions. And if you're listening alone, maybe you're noting these answers and then coming back to the recording. If you need to pause it again, go ahead. Uh, But let me pick up here. When I read the section, I, I think I would have paraphrased it this way. Somehow... Isaiah is in the very presence of God, and there are two odd and amazing creatures called seraphim that have six wings, and they're praising God. The voice of the one speaking is shaking the foundations of the, with the very power of his voice. It's an amazing sight. I also highlighted a few things. First, this happened in the year of King Uzziah's death. That would put this date around... 740 BC. And it's good to remember when you read the Bible that it's not only God's word, it's also a very accurate historical document. And we can pin many events down to the exact year that they occurred because of its accuracy. It's an amazing book. Second, Isaiah is seeing God on his throne. Not only is this amazing and unusual, it's extremely dangerous for Isaiah. Now, if you go back to Exodus 33, 18 through 23, You see, Moses asked God to see 
his glory. And God passes by him and not only allows him to see his back, but he doesn't allow him to see his face. And he says, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Now, the next highlight I have is the seraphim, these odd and majestic creatures, beings with six wings. And Isaiah understands them as they speak. So they're speaking in human voice. Also, the word is broken down into seraph and im. So seraph actually means in Hebrew, it's it's these creatures that are kind of serpent looking and the im gives it the plurality. So just like you have Eloah, meaning God, the powers, him is the plurality of it. You have Elohim is God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Here you have the seraph im, they're multiple of these seraphs. Now, one of the seraphim says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now, this is a common way for the Jews to indicate the ultimate, the very best of something. So you hear them say things like the King of Kings, the Holy of Holies, and it's the same here. Holy, holy, holy means the most holy is the Lord of hosts. There is nothing more holy than God. Next, I noted that the foundations trembled. Can you imagine how awesome these creatures were? Where their voice actually caused the ground to shake? And then last up, the temple was filled with smoke. And we saw this also on Mount Horeb when uh, God's presence was on the mountain in front of Moses and and the, the Israelites. So God's presence has the appearance of or is smoke or is like smoke. Now, a question I'd like you to ponder and discuss with with either yourself internally or with your group that you're with before we move on is, how should God's holiness affect how we think about Him and live for Him? Again, how should God's holiness affect how we think about Him and how we live for Him? So go ahead and pause the recording and, and go ahead and reflect on that question and I'll meet you back in just a second. Now, I hope you paused the recording and reflected on the question. For me, it's a powerful and frankly scary thought to think about how often I don't think about just how holy God is, especially when I compare myself to that standard. You know, I think it's a healthy thing to do, to consider just how holy God is and to see that even on my best day, I could never begin to compare with God's perfect nature and holiness. Okay, so let's move on to verses five through seven and kind of same thing here. We're gonna pause the recording. We're gonna read verses five through seven, highlight the things that stand out and try to paraphrase it. And as you're reading it, consider what Isaiah must've been thinking. He, a sinner, is in the presence of the holy creator of the universe. Okay, go ahead and pause now and I'll meet you again in just a a few minutes after you've discussed it. Okay, I hope you paused the recording and gave some thought to the verses there. You know, I guess my paraphrase of this is, is just to shake my head in awe. You know, Isaiah is in quite a predicament. He's standing in front of a holy God, the creator of the universe, He controls the sun, the moon, the oceans, the tides, the thunder, and the lightning. He is awesome. And Isaiah is a sinner. 
Now, being a prophet, he knows that he already should be dead in this situation. Yet the most amazing thing happens. One of the seraphim brings a burning coal from the altar and puts it on his mouth. And just like that, Isaiah is cleaned. His sins are forgiven. Now, in verse 5, you can see Isaiah's dread. He says, I am ruined, he says. He's a sinner, and so are the people that he represents. The word lips in Hebrew is safah, and it really refers to more than just his lips. It's, it's his speech. And what we say comes from within. As Jesus said in Luke 6.45, he says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So Isaiah knows that he has sinned and should die, but by God's grace, instead of death, he's clean and he's made right to stand in front of God. You know, a key takeaway here is that Isaiah could not fellowship with God in his sinful state. Either he had to die or he had to be made clean. And it was the sacrifice provided by God Keep that in mind. The sacrifice provided by God that made him clean. The coal was taken from the altar. Presumably it was either an incense offering or a burnt offering on the altar. Remember that the purpose of the altar was for the sacrifices. So taking the burning coal from the altar was to take part of that sacrifice. So God provided the sacrifice. And this, of course, is a foreshadowing of things to come where God will provide his own son, Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for all of humanity. Then you'll also recall that this happened with Abraham and Isaac. Remember, where God had commanded Abraham to sacrifice his one promised son, Isaac, as a test of his faith. But at the last moment, when Abraham had his dagger held up high and ready to plunge it into his son's heart to obey God to the nth level, God stopped him and said, Abraham, Abraham, And he showed him that he had provided a ram nearby in the bush for the sacrifice. So God, again there in Genesis 22, verses 9 through 13, provided the sacrifice. Both instances show that God himself would provide the sacrifice needed to enter into his presence. And one day in the future, from this point in time, God would sacrifice his own son, Jesus Christ, to make us right and fit to be in his presence. And lastly here, I'd point out that God took the initiative. He made the first move. With Abraham, God told Abraham to act, and God provided the sacrifice. With Isaiah, God brought Isaiah into his presence and took the action to purify him. And with us today, Jesus has already given his life for all of us as an invitation to enter into God's presence. So all of these are amazing acts of God's grace. All right, so let's move to verses 8 through 10. And again, we're going to read, we're going to highlight the parts that stand out, reflect on it, and then try to paraphrase it. Okay? So go ahead and hit pause now, and we'll resume when you're ready. Okay. How did it go? Let's take a look at verses 8 through 10. First, for me, I'd paraphrase it this way. God wants to know who he can send to speak for Isaiah's people And Isaiah quickly says, send me. Then God tells Isaiah to tell the people to listen but not understand. 
Now, I love Isaiah's heart here. What a willing servant of God. He doesn't even know what the mission is yet, but he says, send me. He knows that he wants to represent God and whatever God would have Isaiah do. But then the thing that God asks Isaiah to do is perplexing. You'd expect, right, that Isaiah would be on a mission to wake his people up and turn them around and bring their hearts back to God. Instead, God tells Isaiah to tell the people, listen, but don't perceive. Look, but don't understand. Now, if you've read the New Testament, you should be familiar with this. Jesus often said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Look at uh, Matthew eleven fifteen as an example. Or Matthew 13, 16, where Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. The idea here is, is that not only do you hear the actual sound waves, but you actually take in what is being said. And, and you don't just hear, but you actually respond and, and have a positive affirming action in response of it. You actually obey and do what God wants you to do. So bottom line, it's not a pleasant task that God asks Isaiah to do. To walk up to someone and say, hey, hey, uh, listen, but then tell them, yeah, but don't try to understand. I'm going to talk to you, but don't even bother trying to understand. The insinuation, of course, is that you're, <laughs> you're too dumb, you're ignorant, I don't know. But it, it's not exactly common speech, right? Um, hey, look at me, but don't pay attention. It actually would be kind of offensive or they think you're crazy if you walked up to somebody and talked to them that way. So before we go to the final section today, I want you to hit pause again and consider these questions. Are you eager to go out and do God's work? Are you in a place where you could say, send me? And what if the task wasn't what you wanted to do? Would you still be willing to go out of your comfort zone and maybe look foolish? Well, go ahead and hit pause. And again, ponder these questions. Are you eager to go out and do God's work? Be honest with yourself. And are you in a place where you could say, raise your hand, send me, Lord. And worse yet, what if it was going to make you way out of your comfort zone and maybe even look foolish? So go ahead and hit pause. And, and think about those and maybe discuss them and then we'll resume when you get back. Okay, thanks for hanging in this far. Uh, you, you're doing great. I hope these questions have helped. Uh, I hope you're thinking about the value and the cost of serving God. You know, I, I've found that for me anyway, um, serving God is not something that just comes naturally and, and I'm a little ashamed to say it, but you know, I want to be honest because I think it's important to be honest. I find that often when I'm asked to do something, my first inclination is not to just jump up and say, send me. Um, and, and a lot of times, especially when I find out that it's going to be out of my comfort zone, let's face it, you know, just about every bit of evangelism and a lot of the serving that we do and, and giving of our of our our finances for the tithe. Those are all things that sort of take us out of our comfort zone. But here's the thing. I've also found that every time, even if it's begrudgingly, when I obey, God blesses me in ways that I never imagined. And I'm always, never, never, never has it not gone this way. I'm always thankful to him afterward for giving me the opportunity to serve him. So just think about that, you know, be honest with yourself and consider 
that um, you know Isaiah was was really amazing, and that he just said, "Send me." Uh, but then, how does that affect you? So just think about that as we continue and close out here. So let's look at verses eleven through thirteen, and like we've done in the in the rest of the session, we're going to read it. We're going to highlight the parts that stand out, and then we're going to try to paraphrase what you've read. So go ahead, read 11 through 13, hit pause, and we'll wrap up when you get back. Okay, so we're back again, and we're looking at the last few verses of Isaiah chapter 6, now looking at verses 11 through 13. And my paraphrase went something like this. Isaiah's response to God's request is, how long? What a great question. It doesn't seem like he was super thrilled about the task that God had just given him. Then God responds that Isaiah would do this until their cities were destroyed and the people taken away. But in the end, there would be some that remained as a remnant, a sign of a hope for the future. Now, a few things that stood out to me. uh, First was the Lord, how long thing. That's totally me. Um, That's so human. We want to know how much, how long, how hard. These are natural human tendencies, and I want you to know that if you feel these, you shouldn't feel guilty. That's a very natural, we are, we are sinners, and, and that's a very natural thing. If you've even grimaced or hesitated before signing up to do something on God's behalf, you're in great company. Now, I'd love to say that I'm always eager to spring into action on God's behalf, uh, but reality is that I'm scared, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, and yes, even lazy. Um, and, and it's frankly a little embarrassing, but you know, the reality is, is that is human nature. I want to just drive that home that if you feel that way, um, don't, don't feel like you're alone in that, but keep in mind that in the end, God understands this about us and what he's looking for is an obedient heart that steps forward despite ourselves. You know, one of the things that I take from this passage and the one just before it is that it's often better to say yes before you have fully understood what you're getting into. And I've done this before, you know, I've, I'll say yes, and, and I haven't really fully understood the details of it. And, and God always blesses it. You know, we have to remember that God's not going to give us more than we can bear. And if we're doing something for God, he's going to bless that. You know, next, um, God details the future. And it's really interesting to look at this with Isaiah. You know, he gives a picture of what's to come. The cities will be destroyed, desolate, and burned. The people will be removed far away. And of course, we know later on in history, this happens. But he says a tenth will remain. Some of the people will be saved and spared. And there's hope given here that there's going to be a remnant of Judah that will grow out of this group of people. And since we know the rest of the story, we know that Jesus comes from the line of Judah and the very people that were saved and remain after the future destruction and capture by the Babylonians. We know that that remnant is where Jesus comes from. So it's important to point out that Isaiah dies about 70 years before the Babylonian attack. So this is truly a prophetic message. Uh, God is giving this to Isaiah. God is giving Isaiah a picture of the future. So let's turn to application as we as we wrap up today. I hope you've enjoyed the, the study so far. And I want to wrap up with just a few thoughts on, on application because it's always important as you as you read stuff in the Bible that you're thinking about how this applies to, to life. And I hope the message here in God's work, it, God's word has spoken to you. And I know it has to me. 
And, and I find that no matter how many times I look at God's word, there's almost always new insight that I gain and, and there's always an application. So for me today, I'm reminded that number one, as a follower of Christ, I can be in God's presence. That's so important for us. He's all around. He's everywhere. Uh, and even in me, when I allow his spirit to, to move in me, right, God's spirit lives in me. And I'm not worthy of this, but God has provided a way. Like Isaiah having the burning coal put to his mouth, Jesus has washed me clean and I can be in God's presence. However, I am human. You just heard me uh, give a bunch of shameful admissions about how difficult it is to, to say yes and send me. Uh, you know, every day uh, I sin, every day I need to repent confess those sins and connect with God with a contrite heart and understand that I'm a work in progress. Uh, in, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it's so important on a daily basis to allow God to do that cleansing and to be in his presence and to be contrite and to confess so that he can restore us and, and have his spirit work in us. Um, he's not going to work in us while we're in the middle of our disobedience. Number two, I'm human. My nature isn't always going to jump up and yell, send me like Isaiah did, but it's the right response. By saying, send me, I'm aligning myself with God. And I have to remember that God will provide the way. He's often asked his people to do impossible things. And it's not us who accomplishes it. So you should be rightfully afraid and anxious. But guess what? God can do anything and he can do anything through us. You know, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over the earth. God doesn't need us to do anything. He could do it. But he chose us to be his instruments to accomplish history. And so God chooses us to go out and do what he needs to be done. So I need to say, send me more often and watch God do some awesome things. And then finally, God is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His plan is perfect, and I need to be a willing participant like Isaiah was and just trust that he's got this all figured out. Well, okay. Hope you've enjoyed the lesson. I know I have. I've really enjoyed digging into God's word. And I would just say, if you don't have a relationship with God yet and you'd like that, please reach out to somebody here at the church. Our pastors are willing to talk to you and would love to have the opportunity to walk you through God's redemption plan for your life. For the rest of us, listen, I, I appreciate your time and hope that this has been a blessing to you. It, it really has blessed me. And let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word and the power that it brings and how the testimony and message of Isaiah the prophet really just brings to light so many things. Um, Lord, I pray that this week and, and in going forward, I'd be more willing to say, send me. And that I pray that for, for those who have gone through the study as well, that they would just have a heart to do your work and not worry about how it's going to get done, to know that the God of the universe is going to help us get that done. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. You're a great God, a powerful God. And we, we ask for your power this week. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.